Chapter Three, Part One of the Rosicrucian Mysteries by Max Heindel. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirk Ziegler. The Chemical Region. If one who is capable of consciously using his spiritual body with the same facility that we now use our physical vehicles should glide away from the earth into interplanetary space, the earth and the various other planets of our solar system would appear to him to be composed of three kinds of matter, roughly speaking. The densest matter, which is our visible earth, would appear to him as being the center of the ball as the yolk is in the center of an egg. Around that nucleus he would observe a finer grade of matter similarly disposed in relation to the central mass, as the white of the egg is disposed outside the yolk. Upon a little closer investigation he would also discover that this second kind of substance permeates the solid earth to the very center, even as the blood percolates through the more solid parts of our flesh. Outside both of these mingling layers of matter he would observe a still finer third layer corresponding to the shell of the egg, except that this third layer is the finest most subtle of the three grades of matter, and that it interpenetrates both of the two inner layers. As already said, the central mass, spiritually seen, is our visible world, composed of solids, liquids, and gases. They constitute the earth, its atmosphere, and also the ether, of which physical science speaks hypothetically as permeating the atomic substance of all chemical elements. The second layer of matter is called the desire world, and the outermost layer is called the world of thought. A little reflection upon the subject will make it clear that just such a constitution is necessary to account for the facts of life as we see them. All forms in the world about us are built from chemical substances, solids, liquids, and gases, but in so far that they do move, these forms obey a separate and distinct impulse, and when this impelling energy leaves, the form becomes inert. The steam engine rotates under the impetus of an invisible gas called steam. Before steam filled its cylinder, the engine stood still, and when the impelling force is shut off its motion again ceases. The dynamo rotates under the still more subtle influence of an electric current, which may also cause the click of a telegraph instrument or the ring of an electric bell, but the dynamo ceases its swift whirl, and the persistent ring of the electric bell becomes mute when the invisible electricity is switched off. The form of the bird, the animal, and the human being also cease their motion when the inner force which we call life has winged its invisible way. All forms are impelled into motion by desire. The bird and the animal roam land and air in their desire to secure food and shelter, or for the purpose of breeding. Man is also moved by these desires, but has, in addition, other and higher incentives to spur him into effort. Among them is the desire for rapidity of motion, which led him to construct the steam engine and other devices that move in obedience to his desire. If there were no iron in the mountains, man could not build machines. If there were no clay in the soil, the bony structure of the skeleton would be an impossibility. And if there were no physical world at all, with all its solids, liquids, and gases, this dense body of ours could never have come into existence. Reasoning along similar lines, it must be at once apparent that if there were no desire world, composed of the desire stuff, we should have no way of forming feelings, emotions, and desires. A planet composed of the materials we perceive with our physical eyes, and of no other substances, might be the home of plants which grow unconsciously, but have no desires to cause them to move. The animal kingdoms, however, would be impossibilities. Furthermore, there is in the world a vast number of things, from the simplest and most crude instruments, to the most intricate and cunning devices which have been constructed by the hand of man. These reveal the fact of man's thought and ingenuity. Thought must have a source as well as form and feeling. We saw that it was necessary to have the requisite material in order to build a steam engine, or a body, and we reasoned that from the fact that in order to obtain material to express desire, there must also be a world composed of desire stuff. 
carrying our argument to its logical conclusion we also hold that unless a world of thought provides a reservoir of mind stuff upon which we may draw it would be impossible for us to think and invent things which we see even in the lowest civilization thus it will be clear that the division of a planet into worlds is not based on fanciful metaphysical speculation but is logically necessary in the economy of nature therefore it must be taken into consideration by anyone who would study and aim to understand the inner nature of things when we see street cars moving along our streets it does not explain to say that the motor is driven by electricity of so many amperes at so many volts these names only add to our confusion until we have thoroughly studied the science of electricity and then we shall find the mystery deepens for while the street car belongs to the world of inert form perceptible to our vision the electric current which moves it is indigenous to the realm of force the invisible desire world and the thought which created and guides it comes from still the more subtle world of thought which is the home world of the human spirit the ego it may be objected that this line of argument makes a simple matter exceedingly intricate but a little reflection will soon show the fallacy of such a contention viewed superficially any of the sciences seem extremely simple atomically we may divide the body into flesh and bone chemically we may make the simple divisions between solid liquid and gas but to thoroughly master the science of anatomy it is necessary to spend years in close application and to learn how all the little nerves the ligaments which bind the articulations between various parts of the bony structure to study several kinds of tissue and their disposition in our system where they form the bones muscles glands etc which in the aggregate we know as the human body to properly understand the science of chemistry we must study the valence of the atom which determines the power of combination of the various elements together with niceties such as atomic weight density etc new wonders are constantly opening up to the most experienced chemist who understands best the immensity of his chosen science the youngest lawyer fresh from law school knows more about the most intricate cases in his own estimation than the judges upon the spring court bench who spend long hours weeks and months seriously deliberating over their decisions but those who without having studied think they understand and are fitted to discourse upon the greatest of all sciences the science of life and being make a greater mistake after years of patient study of holy life spent in close application a man is oft-times perplexed at the immensity of the subject he studies he finds it to be so vast in both the direction and of the great and small that it baffles description that language fails and that the tongue must remain mute therefore we hold and we speak from knowledge gained through years of close study and investigation that the finer distinctions which we have made and shall make are not at all arbitrary but absolutely necessary as are divisions and distinctions made in anatomy or chemistry no form in the physical world has feeling in the true sense of that word it is the indwelling of life which feels as we may readily see from the fact that a body which responded to the slightest touch while instinct with life exhibits no sensation whatever even when cut to pieces after the life has fled demonstrations have been made by scientists particularly by professor bose of calcutta to show that there is feeling in dead animal tissue and even in tin and other metal but we maintain that the diagrams which seem to support his contentions in reality demonstrate only a response to impacts similar to the rebound of a rubber ball and that it must not be confused with such feelings as love hate sympathy and aversion goethe also in his novel elective infinities brings out some beautiful illustrations wherein he makes it seem as if atoms loved and hated from the fact that some elements combine readily while other substances refuse to amalgamate a phenomenon produced by the different rates of speed at which various elements vibrate and an unequal inclination of their axes only where there is sentient life can there be feelings of pleasure and pain sorrow or joy the etheric region 
in addition to the solids liquids and gases which compose the chemical region of the physical world there is also a finer grade of matter called ether which permeates the atomic structure of the earth and its atmosphere substantially as science teaches scientists have never seen nor have they weighed measured or analyzed this substance but they infer that it must exist in order to account for transmission of light and various other phenomena if it were possible for us to live in a room from which the air had been exhausted we might speak at the top of our voices we might ring the largest bell or we might even discharge a cannon close to our ear and we should hear no sound for the air is the medium which transmits sound vibrations to the tympanum of our ear and that would be lacking but if an electric light were lighted we should at once perceive its rays it will illumine the room despite the lack of air hence there must be a substance capable of being set into vibration between the electric light and our eyes that medium scientists call ether but it is so subtle that no instrument has been devised whereby it may be measured or analyzed and therefore scientists are without much information concerning it though forced to postulate its existence we do not seek to belittle the achievements of modern scientists we have the greatest admiration for them and we entertain high expectations of what ambitions they may yet realize but we perceive a limitation in the fact that all discoveries of the past have been made by the invention of wonderful instruments applied in a most ingenious manner to solve seemingly insoluble and baffling problems the strength of science lies vested in its instruments for the scientist may say to anyone go procure a number of glasses ground in a certain manner insert them into a tube direct that tube toward a certain point in the sky where now nothing appears to your naked eye you will then see a beautiful star called uranus if his directions are followed anyone is quickly and without preparation able to determine for himself the truth of the scientist's assertion but while the instruments of science are its tower of strength they may also mark the end of its field of investigation for it is impossible to contact the spirit world with physical instruments so the research of occultists begins where the physical scientist finds his limit and are carried on by spiritual means these investigations are as thorough and as reliable as researches by material scientists but not as easily demonstrable to the general public spiritual powers lie dormant within every human being and when awakened they compensate for both telescope and microscope they enable their possessor to investigate things beyond the veil of matter but they are only developed by a patient application and continuance in well-doing extended over years and few are they who have faith to start upon the path to attainment or perseverance to go through with the ordeal therefore the occultists assertions are not generally credited we can readily see that long probation must precede attainment for a person equipped with spiritual sight is able to penetrate the walls of houses as easily as we walk through the atmosphere able to read at will the innermost thoughts of those about him if not actuated by the most pure and unselfish motives he would be a scourge of humanity therefore that power is safeguarded as we would withhold the dynamite bomb from an anarchist and from the well-intentioned but ignorant person or as we withhold match and powder barrel from a child in the hands of an experienced engineer the dynamite bomb may be used to open a highway of commerce an intelligent farmer may use gunpowder to good account in clearing his field of tree stumps but in the hands of an ill-intentioned criminal or ignorant child an explosive may wreck much property and end many lives the force is the same but used differently according to the ability or intention of the user it may produce results of a diametrically opposite nature so it is also with spiritual powers there is a time lock upon them as upon a bank safe which keeps out all until they have earned the privilege and the time is ripe for its exercise as already said the ether is physical matter and responsive to the same laws which govern other physical substances upon this plane of existence therefore it requires but a slight extension of physical sight to see the ether which is disposed in four grades of density 
the blue haze seen in mountain canyons is in fact ether of the kind known to occult investigators as chemical ether many people who see this ether are unaware that they are possessed of a faculty not enjoyed by all others who have developed spiritual sight are not endowed with etheric vision a fact which seems an anomaly until the subject of clairvoyance is thoroughly understood the reason is that as ether is physical matter etheric sight depends upon the sensitiveness of the optic nerve while spiritual sight is acquired by developing latent vibratory powers in two little organs situated in the brain the pituitary body and the penile gland near-sighted people even may have etheric vision though unable to read the print in a book they may be able to see through a wall owing to the fact that their optic nerve responds more rapidly to fine than to coarse vibrations when anyone views an object with etheric sight he sees through that object in a manner similar to the way x-ray penetrates opaque substances if he looks at a sewing machine he will perceive first an outer casting then the works within and behind both the casting furthest away from him if he has developed the grade of spiritual vision which opens the desire world to him and he looks at the same object he will see it both inside and out if he looks closely he will perceive every little atom spinning upon its axis and no part or particle will be excluded from his perception but if this spiritual sight has been developed in such a measure that he is capable of viewing the sewing machine with the vision peculiar to the world of thought he will behold a cavity where he had previously seen the form things seen with etheric vision are very much alike in color they are nearly reddish blue purple or violet according to the density of the ether but when we view any object with the spiritual sight pertaining to the desire world it scintillates and coruscates in a thousand ever-changing colors so incredibly beautiful that they can only be compared to living fire and the writer therefore calls this great vision color sight but when the spiritual vision of the world thought is the medium of perception the seer finds that in addition to still more beautiful colors there issues from the cavity described a constant flow of certain harmonious tone thus this world wherein we now consciously live and which we perceive by our means of our physical senses is preeminently the world of form the desire world is particularly the world of color and the world of thought is the realm of tone because of the relative proximity or distance of these little worlds a statue a form withstands the ravages of time for millenniums but the colors upon the painting fade in a far shorter time for they come from the desire world and the music which is native to the world furthest removed from us the world of thought is like a will-o'-the-wisp which none may catch or hold it is gone again as soon as it has made its appearance but there is in color and music a compensation for this increasing effervescence the statue is cold and dead as the mineral of which it is composed and has attractions for but few though its form is a tangible reality the forms upon a painting are illusory yet they express life on account of the color which has come from a region where nothing is inert and lifeless therefore the painting is enjoyed by many music is intangible and ephemeral but it comes from the home world of the spirit and through so fleeting it is recognized by the spirit as a soul speech fresh from the celestial realms an echo from the home whence we are now exiled and therefore it touches a chord in our being regardless of whether we realize the true cause or not thus we see that there are various grades of spiritual sight each suited to the superphysical realm which it opens to our perception etheric vision color vision and tonal vision the occult investigator finds that ether is one of four kinds or grades of density chemical ether the life ether the light ether the reflecting ether the chemical ether is the avenue of expression for forces promoting assimilation growth and the maintenance of form the life ether is the vantage ground of forces active in propagation or the building of new forms the light ether transmits the motive power of the sun along the various nerves of living bodies and makes motion possible 
the reflecting ether receives an impression of all that is lives and moves it also records each change in a similar manner as the film upon a moving picture machine in this record mediums and psychometrists may read the past upon the same principle as under proper conditions moving pictures are reproduced time and time again we have been speaking of ether as an avenue of forces a word which conveys no meaning to the average mind because force is invisible but to an occult investigator the forces are not merely names such as steam electricity etc he finds them to be intelligent beings of varying grades both sub and superhuman what we call laws of nature are great intelligences which guide more elemental beings in accordance with certain rules designed to further their evolution in the middle ages when many people were still endowed with a remnant of negative clairvoyance they spoke of gnomes and elves or fairies which roamed about the mountains and forests these were the earth spirits they also told of the udine or water sprite which inhabited rivers and streams or of sylphs which were said to dwell in the mists above moat and moor as air spirits but not much was said of the salamanders as they are fire spirits and therefore not so easily detected or so readily accessible to the majority of people the old folk stories are now regarded as superstitions but as a matter of fact one endowed with etheric vision may yet perceive the little gnomes building green chlorophyll into the leaves of plants and giving to flowers the multiplicity of delicate tints which delight our eyes scientists have attempted time and time again to offer an adequate explanation of the phenomenon of wind and storm but have failed signally nor can they succeed while they seek a mechanical solution to what is really a manifestation of life could they see the hosts of sylphs winging their way hither and thither they would know who and what is responsible for the fickleness of the wind could they watch a storm at sea from the etheric viewpoint they would perceive the saying the war of the elements is not an empty phrase for the heaving sea is truly a battlefield of sylphs and undines and the howling tempest is the war-cry of spirits in the air also the salamanders are found everywhere and no fire is lighted without their help but they are mostly active underground they are responsible for explosions and volcanic eruptions the class of beings which we have mentioned are still subhuman but will all at some time reach a stage in evolution corresponding to the human though under different circumstances from those under which we evolve but at present the wonderful intelligence we speak of as the laws of nature marshal the armies of less evolved entities mentioned to arrive at a better understanding of what these various beings are and their relation to us we must take an illustration let us suppose that a mechanic is making an engine and meanwhile a dog is watching him it sees the man at his labor and how he uses various tools to shape his materials also how from the crude iron steel brass and other metals the engine slowly takes shape the dog is a being from a lower evolution and does not comprehend the purpose of the mechanic but it sees both the workman his labor and the result thereof which manifests as an engine let us now suppose that the dog were able to see the materials which slowly change their shape assemble and become an engine but that is unable to perceive the workman and to see the work he does the dog would then be in the same relation to the mechanic as we are to the great intelligences we call laws of nature and their assistants the nature spirits for we behold the manifestations of their work as force moving matter in various ways but always under the immutable conditions in the ether we may also observe the angels whose densest body is made out of that material as our dense body is formed of gases liquids and solids these beings are one step beyond human stage as we are a degree in advance of the animal evolution we have never been animals like our present fauna however but at a previous stage in the development of our planet we had an animal-like constitution then the angels were human though they never possessed a dense body such as ours nor ever functioned in any material denser than ether at some time in a future condition the earth will again become ethereal and then man will be like angels therefore the bible tells us 
that man was made a little while lower than the angels paul's letter to the hebrews second chapter seventh verse see marginal reading as ether is the avenue of vital creative forces and as angels are such expert builders of ether we may readily understand that they are eminently fitted to be warders of the prerogative forces in plant animal and man all through the bible we find them thus engaged two angels came to abraham and announced the birth of isaac they promised a child to the man who had obeyed god later these same angels destroyed sodom for the abuse of the creative force angels foretold to the parents of samuel and samson the birth of these great giants of brain and brawn to elizabeth came the angel not archangel gabriel and announced the birth of john later he also appeared to mary with the message that she was chosen to bear jesus the desire world when spiritual sight is developed so that it becomes possible to behold the desire world many wonders confront the newcomer for conditions are so widely different from what they are here that a description must be quite as incredible as a fairy tale to anyone who has not himself seen them many cannot even believe that such a world exists and that other people can see that which is invisible to them yet some people are blind to the beauties of the world which we see a man who was born blind may say to us i know that this world exists i can hear i can smell i can taste and above all i can feel but when you speak of light and color they are non-existent to me you say that you see things i cannot believe it for i cannot see myself you say that light and color are all about me but none of the senses at my command reveal them to me and i do not believe that the sense you call sight exists i think you suffer from hallucinations we might sympathize very sincerely with the poor man who is thus afflicted but his skepticism reasonings and objections and sneers notwithstanding we would be obliged to maintain that we perceive light and color the man whose spiritual sight has been awakened is in a similar position with respect to those who do not perceive the desire world of which he speaks if the blind man acquires the faculty of sight by an operation his eyes are opened and he will become compelled to assert the existence of light and color which he formerly denied and when spiritual sight is acquired by anyone he also perceives for himself the facts related by others neither is it an argument against the existence of spiritual realms that seers are at variance in their descriptions of conditions in the invisible world we need but to look into books on travel and compare stories brought home by explorers of china india or africa and we shall find them differing widely and often contradictory because each traveler saw things from his own standpoint and under other conditions than those met by his brother authors and we maintain that the man who has read most widely these varying tales concerning a certain country and wrestled with the contradictions of narrators will have a more comprehensive idea of the country or people of whom he has read than the man who has only read one story assented to by all the authors similarly the varying stories of visitors to the desire world are of value because giving a fuller view and more rounded than if all had seen things from the same angle in this world matter and force are widely different the chief characteristic of matter here is inertia the tendency to remain at rest until acted upon by a force which sets it in motion in the desire world on the contrary force and matter are almost indistinguishable from one another we might also describe desire stuff as force matter for it is incessant motion responsive to the slightest feeling of a vast multitude of beings which populate this wonderful world in nature we often speak of the teeming millions of china and india even of our vast cities london new york paris or chicago we consider them overcrowded in the extreme yet even the densest population of any spot on earth is sparsely inhabited compared with the crowded conditions of the desire world no inconvenience is felt by any of the denizens of that realm however for while in this world two things cannot occupy the same space at the same time it is different there 
a number of people and many things may exist in the same place at the same time and be engaged in a most diverse activities regardless of what others are doing such is the wonderful elasticity of desire stuff as an illustration we may mention a case where the writer while attending a religious service plainly perceived at the altar certain beings interested in furthering that service and working to achieve that end at the same time there drifted through the room and the altar at a table at which four persons were engaged in playing cards they were as oblivious to the existence of the beings engaged in furthering our religious service as though these did not exist the desire world is the abode of those who have died for some time subsequent to that event and we may mention in the above connection that the so-called dead very often stay for a long while among their still living friends unseen by the relatives they go about the familiar rooms at first they are often unaware of the condition mentioned that two persons may be in the same place at the same time and when they seat themselves in a chair or at a table a living relative may take the supposedly vacant seat the man we mistakenly call dead will at first hurry out of his seat to escape being sat upon but he soon learns that being sat upon does not hurt him in his altered condition and that he may remain in his chair regardless of the fact that his living relative is also sitting there in the lower regions of the desire world the whole body of each being may be seen but the highest regions only the head seems to remain raphael who like many other people in the middle ages was gifted with a so-called second sight pictured that condition for us in his sistine madonna now in the dresden art gallery where madonna and the christ child are represented as floating in a golden atmosphere and surrounded by a host of genie heads conditions which the occult investigator knows to be in harmony with actual facts among the entities who are so to speak native to that realm of nature none are perhaps better known to the christian world than the archangels these exalted beings were human at a time in the earth's history when we were yet plant-like since then we have advanced two steps through the animal and to the human stage of development the present archangels have also made up two steps in progression one in which they were similar to what the angels are now and another step which made them what we call archangels their densest body though differing from ours in shape and made of desire stuff is used by them as a vehicle of consciousness in the same manner that we use our body they are expert manipulators of forces in the desire world and these forces as we shall see move all the world to action therefore the archangels work with humanity industrially and politically as arbitrators of the destiny of peoples and nations the angels may be said to be family spirits whose mission is to unite a few spirits as members of a family and cement them with ties of blood and love of kin while the archangels may be called race and national spirits they unite whole nations by patriotism or love of home and country they are responsible for the rise and fall of nations they give war or peace victory or defeat as it serves the best interests of the people they rule this we may see for instance from the book of daniel where the archangel michael not to be confounded with the michael who is ambassador from the sun to the earth is called the prince of the children of israel another archangel tells daniel in the tenth chapter that he intends to fight the prince of persia by means of the greeks there are varying grades of intelligence among human beings some are qualified to hold high and lofty positions entirely beyond the ability of others also it is among higher beings not all archangels are fitted to govern a nation and rule the destiny of a race people or tribe some are not fitted to rule human beings at all but as the animals also have a desire nature these lower grades of archangels govern the animals as group spirits and evolve to higher capacity thereby the work of the race spirits is readily observable in people it governs the lower in the scale of evolution the people the more they show a certain racial likeness that is due to the work of the race spirit one national spirit is responsible for the swarthy complexion common to italians for instance while another causes the scandinavians to be blonde 
in the more advanced types of humanity there is a wider divergence from the common type due to the individualized ego which thus expresses in form and feature its own particular idiosyncrasies among the lower types of humanity such as mongolians native african negroes and south sea islanders the resemblance of individuals in each tribe makes it impossible for civilized westerners to distinguish between them among animals where the separate spirit is not individualized and self-conscious the resemblance is not only much more marked physically but extends even to the traits and characteristics we may write a biography of man for the experience of each varies from that of others and his acts are different but we cannot write the biography of an animal for members of each tribe all act alike under similar circumstances if we desire to know the facts about edward the seventh it would profit us nothing to study the life of prince consort his father of george the fifth his son as both would be entirely different from edward in order to find out what manner of man he was we must study his own individual life if on the other hand we wish to know the characteristics of beavers we may observe an individual of the tribe and when we have studied its idiosyncrasies we shall know the traits of the whole tribe of beavers what we call instinct is in reality the dictates of group spirits which govern separate individuals of its tribe telepathically as it were the ancient egyptians knew of these animal group spirits and sketched many of them in a crude way upon their temples and tombs such figures with a human body and an animal head actually live in the desire world they may be spoken to and will be found much more intelligent than the average human being that statement brings up another peculiarity of conditions of the desire world in respect of language here in this world human speech is so diversified that there are countries where people who only live a few miles apart speak a dialect so different that they understand each other with great difficulty and each nation has its own language that varies altogether from the speech of other peoples in the lower regions of the desire world there is the same diversity of tongues as on earth and the so-called dead of one nation find it impossible to converse with those who lived in another country here linguistic accomplishments are of great value to the invisible helpers of whom we shall hear later as their sphere of usefulness is enormously extended by that ability even apart from the difference of language our mode of speech is exceedingly productive of misunderstandings the same words often convey the opposite ideas to different minds if we speak of a body of water one person may think we mean a lake of small dimensions the thoughts of another may be directed to the great american lakes and a third person's thoughts may be turned towards the atlantic or pacific oceans if we speak of light one may think of a gas light another an electric arc lamp or if we say red one person may think we mean a delicate shade of pink and another gets the idea of crimson the misunderstandings of what words mean goes even further as illustrated in the following the writer once opened a reading-room in a large city where he lectured and invited his audience to make use thereof among those who availed themselves of the opportunity was a gentleman who for had many years been a veritable metaphysical tramp roaming from lecture to lecture hearing the teachings of everybody and practicing nothing like the athenians on mars hill he was always looking for something new particularly in the line of phenomena and his mind was in that seething chaotic state which is one of the most prominent symptoms of mental indigestion having attended a number of our lectures he knew from the program that the lecturer does not give readings or cast horoscopes for pay but seeing on the door of the newly opened reading room the legend free reading room his erratic mind at once jumped to the conclusion that although we were opposed to telling fortunes for pay we were now going to give these free readings of the future in the free reading room he was much disappointed that we did not intend to tell fortunes either gratis or for a consideration and we changed our sign to free library in order to obviate a repetition of the error in the higher regions of the desire world the confusion of tongues gives place to a universal mode of expression which absolutely prevents misunderstandings of our meaning 
there each of our thoughts take a definite form and color perceptible to all and this thought symbol emits a certain tone which is not a word but conveys our meaning to the one we address no matter what language he spoke on earth to arrive at an understanding of how much a universal language becomes possible and is at once comprehended by all without preparation we may take as an illustration the manner in which a musician reads music a german or polish composer may write an opera each has his own peculiar terminology and expresses it in his own language when that opera is to be played by an italian bandmaster or a spanish or american musician it need not be translated the notes and symbols upon the page are a universally understood language of symbols which is intelligible to musicians of no matter what nationality similarly with figures the german counts ein zwei drei the frenchman says un deux trois and in english we use the words one two three but the figures one two three though differently spoken are intelligible to all and mean the same there is no possibility of misunderstanding the cases of either music or figures thus it is also with the universal language peculiar to the higher regions of the desire world and still more subtle realms of nature it is intelligible to all an exact mode of expression returning to our description of the entities commonly met with in the lower desire world we may note that other systems of religion than the egyptian already mentioned have spoken of various classes of beings native to these realms the zoroastrian religion for instance mentions seven amashaspens and the izards as having dominion over certain days of the month and certain months in the year the christian religion speaks of the seven spirits before the throne which are the same beings the persians called amashaspens each of them rules over two months in the year while the seventh michael the highest is their leader for he is ambassador from the sun to the earth the others are ambassadors from the planets the catholic religion with its abundant occult information takes most notice of these star angels and knows considerable about their influence upon the affairs of earth the amashapens however do not inhabit the lower regions of the desire world but influence the izards according to the old persian legend these beings are divisible into one group of twenty-eight classes and another group of three classes each of these classes has dominion over or takes the lead of all the other classes on one certain day of the month they regulate the weather conditions on that day and work with animal and man in particular at least the twenty-eight classes do that and the other group of three classes has nothing to do with animals because they have only twenty-eight pairs of spinal nerves while human beings have thirty-one thus animals are attuned to the lunar month of twenty-eight days while man is correlated to the solar month of thirty or thirty-one days the ancient persians were astronomers but not physiologists they had no means of knowing the different nervous constitution of an animal and man but they saw clairvoyantly these superphysical beings they noted and recorded their work with animal and man and our own anatomical investigations may show us the reason for these divisions of the classes of izards recorded in that ancient system of philosophy still another class of beings should be mentioned those who have entered the desire world through the gate of death and are now hidden from our physical vision these so-called dead are in fact much more alive than any of us who are tied to a dense body and subject to all its limitations who are forced to slowly drag this clog along with us at the rate of a few miles an hour who must expend such an enormous amount of energy upon propelling that vehicle that we are quickly and easily tired even when in the best health and who are often confined to bed sometimes for years by the indisposition of this heavy mortal coil but when that is once shed and the freed spirit can again function in its spiritual body sickness is an unknown condition and distance is annihilated or at least practically so for though it was necessary for the saviour to liken the freed spirit to the wind which blows where it listeth that simile gives but a poor description of what actually takes place in soul flights time is non-existent there as we shall presently explain 
so the writer has never been able to time himself but has on several occasions timed others when he was in the physical body and they were speeding through space upon a certain errand distances such as from the pacific coast to europe the delivery of a short message there and the return to the body has been accomplished in slightly less than one minute therefore our assertion that those whom are called dead are in reality much more alive than we is well founded in facts we spoke of the dense body in which we now live as a clog and a fetter it must not be inferred however that we sympathize with the attitude of certain people who when they have learned with what ease soul flights are accomplished to go about bemoaning the fact that they are now imprisoned they are constantly thinking of and longing for the day when they shall be able to leave this mortal coil behind and fly away in their spiritual body such an attitude of mind is decidedly mistaken the great and wise beings who are invisible leaders of our evolution have not placed us here to no purpose valuable lessons are to be learned in this invisible world wherein we dwell and cannot be learned in any other realm of nature and the very conditions of density and inertia whereof such people complain are factors which make it possible to acquire the knowledge this world is designed to give this fact was so amply illustrated in a recent experience of the writer a friend had been studying occultism for a number of years but had not studied astrology last year she became aroused to the importance of this branch of study as a key to self-knowledge and a means of understanding the natures of others also of developing the compassion for their errors so necessary in the cultivation of love of one's neighbor love of our neighbor the savior enjoined upon us as the supreme commandment which is the fulfillment of all laws and as astrology teaches us to bear and forbear it helps as nothing else can in the development of the supreme virtue she therefore joined one of the classes started in los angeles by the writer but a sudden illness quickly ended in death and thus terminated her study of the subject in the physical body ere it was well begun upon one of many occasions when she visited the writer subsequent to her release from the body she deplored the fact that it seemed so difficult to make headway in her study of astrology the writer advised continued attendance at the class and suggested that she could surely get someone on the other side to help her study as she exclaimed impatiently oh yes of course i attend the classes i have done so right along i have also found a friend who helps me here but you cannot imagine how difficult it is to concentrate upon mathematical calculations and the judgment of a horoscope or in fact upon any subject here where very little thought current takes you miles away from your study i used to think it difficult to concentrate when i had a physical body but it is not a circumstance to the obstacles which face the student here the physical body was an anchor to her and it is that to all of us being dense it is also to a great extent impervious to disturbing influences from which the more subtle spiritual bodies do not shield us it enables us to bring our ideas to a logical conclusion with far less effort at concentration than is necessary in that realm where all is in such incessant and turbulent motion thus we are gradually developing the faculty of holding our thoughts to a center by existence in this world and we should value our opportunities here rather than deplore the limitations which help in one direction more than they fetter in another in fact we should never deplore any condition each has its lesson if we try to learn what that lesson is and to simulate that experience which may be extracted therefrom we are wiser than those who waste time in vain regrets we said there is no time in the desire world and the reader will readily understand that such must be the case from the fact already mentioned that nothing there is opaque in this world the rotation of the opaque earth upon its axis is responsible for the alternating conditions of day and night we call it day when the spot where we live is turned towards the sun and its rays illumine our environment but when our home is turned away from the sun and its rays obstructed by the opaque earth we term the resulting darkness night the passage of earth in its orbit around the sun produces the seasons and the year which are our diversions of time but in the desire world where all is light there is but one long day 
the spirit there is not fettered by a physical body so it does not need sleep and its existence is unbroken spiritual substances are not subject to contraction and expansion such as arise from heat and cold hence summer and winter are also non-existent thus there is nothing to differentiate one moment from another in respect to the conditions of light and darkness summer and winter which mark time for us therefore while the so-called dead may have a very accurate memory of time as regards the life they lived here in the body they are usually unable to tell anything about the chronological relation of events which has happened to them in the desire world and it is a very common thing to find that they do not even know how many years have elapsed since they passed out from this plane of existence only the students of stellar science are able to calculate the passage of time after their demise when the occult investigator wishes to study an event in past history of man he may most readily call upon the picture from memory of nature but if he desires to fix the time of the incident he will be obliged to count backwards by the motion of the heavenly bodies for that purpose he generally uses the measure provided by the sun's procession each year the sun crosses the earth's equator about the twenty-first of march then day and night are of even length therefore this is the vernal equinox but on account of a certain wobbling motion of the earth's axis the sun does not cross over at the same place in the zodiac it reaches the equator a little too early it proceeds year by year it moves backwards a little at the time of the birth of christ for instance the vernal equinox was about seven degrees of the zodiacal sign aries during the two thousand years which intervene between that event and the present time the sun has moved backwards about twenty-seven degrees so that it is now about ten degrees of the sign pisces it moves around the whole circle of the zodiac in about twenty-five thousand eight hundred and sixty-eight years the occult investigator may therefore count back the number of signs or whole circles which the sun has preceded between the present day and the time of the event he is investigating thus he has by use of the heavenly timekeepers a very approximately correct measure of time even though he is in the desire world and that is another reason for studying the stellar science world of thought when we have attained the spiritual development necessary to consciously enter the world of thought and leave the desire world which is the realm of light and color we pass through a condition which the occult investigator calls the great silence as previously stated the higher regions of the desire world exhibit the marked peculiarity of blending form and sound but when one passes through the great silence all the world seems to disappear and the spirit has the feeling of floating in an ocean of intense light utterly alone yet absolutely fearless since unimbued with a sense of its form or sound nor past or future but all is one eternal now there seems to be neither pleasure nor pain and yet there is no absence of feeling but it all seems to center on the one idea i am the human ego stands face to face with itself as it were and for the time being all else is shut out this is the experience of anyone who passes that breach between the desire world and the world of thought whether involuntarily in the course of an ordinarily cyclic pilgrimage of the soul which we shall later elucidate when speaking of the post-mortem existence or by an act of the will as in the case of the trained occult investigator all have the same experience in transition there are two main divisions in the physical world the chemical region and the etheric region the world of thought also has two great subdivisions the region of concrete thought and the region of abstract thought as we specialize the material of the physical world and shape into a dense body and as we form the force matter of the desire world into a desire body so do we appropriate a certain amount of mind stuff from the region of concrete thought but we as spirits clothe ourselves in spirit substance from the region of abstract thought and thereby we come individual separate egos the region of concrete thought the region of concrete thought is neither shadowy nor illusory 
it is the acme of reality and this world which we mistakenly regard as the only verity is but an evanescent replica of that region a little reflection will show the reasonableness of this statement and prove our contention that all we see here is really crystallized thought our houses our machinery our chairs and tables all that has been made by the hand of man is the embodiment of a thought as the juices in the soft body of the snail gradually crystallize into the hard and flinty shell which it carries upon its back and which hides it so everything used in our civilization is a concreation of invisible intangible mind stuff the thought of james watt in time congealed into a steam engine and revolutionized the world edison's thought was condensed into an electric generator which has turned night into day and had it not been for the thought of morris and marconi the telegraph would not have annihilated distance as it does today an earthquake may wreck a city and demolish the lightning plant and telegraph station but the thoughts of watt edison and morse remain and upon the basis of their indestructible ideas new machinery may be constructed and operations resumed thus thoughts are more permanent than things the sensitive ear of the musician detects a certain musical note in every city which is different from that of another city he hears in each little brook a new melody and to him the sound of the wind in the treetops of different forests give a varying sound in the desire world we noted the existence of forms similar to the shapes of things here also that seemingly sound proceeds from form but in the regions of concrete thought it is different for while each form occupies and obscures a certain space here form is non-existent when viewed from the standpoint of the region of concrete thought where the form was a transparent vacuous space is observable from that empty void comes a sound which is the keynote that creates and maintains the form whence it appears to come as the almost invisible core of a gas flame is the source of light we perceive sound from a vacuum cannot be heard in the physical world but the harmony which proceeds from the vacuous cavity of a celestial archetype is the voice of silence and it becomes audible when all earthly sounds have ceased elijah heard it not while the storm was raging nor was it in evidence during the turbulence of the earthquake nor in the crackling and roaring fire but when the destructive and inharmonious sounds of this world had melted into silence the still small voice continued its commands to save elijah's life that keynote is a direct manifestation of the higher self which uses it to impress and govern the personality it has created but alas part of this life has been infused into the material side of its being which has thus obtained a certain will of its own and only too often are the two sides of our nature at war at last there comes a time when the spirit is too weary to strive with the recalcitrant flesh when the voice of silence ceases the earthly nourishment we may seek to give will not avail to sustain a form when this harmonious sound is word from heaven no longer reverberates through the empty void of the celestial archetype man lives not by bread alone but by the word and the last sound vibration of the keynote is the death knell of the physical body in this world we are compelled to investigate and to study a thing before we know about it and although the facilities for gaining information are in some respects much greater in the desire world a certain amount of investigation is necessary nevertheless to acquire knowledge in the world of thought on the contrary it is different when we wish to know about a certain thing there we turn our attention thereto then that thing speaks to us as it were the sound it emits at once gives us a most luminous comprehension of every phase of its nature we attain to a realization of its past history the whole story of its enfoldment is laid bare and we seem to have lived through all of those experiences together with the thing we are investigating were it not for one enormous difficulty the story thus obtained would be exceedingly valuable but all this information this life picture flows in upon us with an enormous rapidity in a moment in the twinkling of an eye so that it has neither beginning nor end for as said in the word of thought 
all is one great now time does not exist therefore when we want to use the archetypal information in the physical world we must disentangle and arrange it in chronological order with beginning and ending before it becomes intelligible to beings living in a realm where time is a prime factor that rearrangement is a most difficult task as all words are coined with relation to three dimensions of space and the evanescence unit of time the fleeting moment hence much of that information remains unavailable end of chapter three part one recording by kirk ziggler ogden utah voiceovers by kirk dot com